When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey love, welcome to the Selfish Bay Podcast, aka Selfish Talk, hosted by me, Olenike O.C. Selfish Babe is a personal development and women's lifestyle brand dedicated to women learning how to selfishly and authentically love themselves. On this podcast, expect to have your mind expanded, curse words said, and to gain a new perspective about who the fuck you are. Let's get into it. Hey, beautiful selfish babe, it is your girl Olenike Osi here and I have a treat for you today. So I have a beautiful guest by the name of Ebony. Now I met Ebony in our selfish babe Facebook group because after reading her story, I was like, OMG, I gotta have her on the Selfish Talk podcast. So in this podcast is going to get deep. We're going to be talking about traumatizing sexual experiences Ebony has been raped and molested by her stepfather for years and years and years. And so on this podcast, we're going to be talking about that. And we're also going to be talking about how she brought herself back to self-love from that experience. You can follow her on Instagram at Amera underscore E. That is A-M-E-E-R-A-H underscore E. I will link that below. Now let's get into it. Hey, beautiful people. It is your girl, Olenike Elsie here with the Selfish Talk podcast. And today I have a very, very special guest named Ebony. And Ebony, can you say hello? Hello. And would you be able to introduce yourself to our Selfish Babes across the world? Yes, my name is Ebony Amira. Um, I am 25 years old and I live in Los Angeles, California. And what do you currently do? I am a professional dancer. I teach dance. I train in dancing and doing a lot with dance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So I brought Ebony on the Selfish Talk podcast today because literally I was scrolling through the Selfish Babe Facebook group and I was like, this one post has so many damn comments. Like, what's going on here? (laughs) So I ended up reading the post and it was really Ebony really introducing herself to the rest of the group and then sharing her story and what she's been through. And I was like, Oh my God, we got to get you on a podcast because (laughs) literally need to hear your story. And I'm so glad to have you here. Ebony, thank you for joining me. I know it's 7am your time in Cali and Mm. I just appreciate your energy and I appreciate the energy that you're about to give the selfish babe who is listening to this. So selfish babe who is listening to this, like you don't want to share this podcast, like for real, for real. (laughs) All right. So, um, Ebony, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your experience. I'm just going to go over something, some of the, some of the experiences really quickly, and then we're going to talk about them more in depth, okay? Okay. So Ebony shared in the Facebook group that uh, she was raped and molested for three years by her stepfather, that her mother is currently with her stepfather. Um, she almost passed when she was 18 when she was doing drugs. And currently right now, she's working on fixing uh, her relationship with her mom. And she's not a professional dancer and she's engaged. And she didn't think that that would ever happen for her. And so right now, she's in a a real good spot in her life compared to where she was in the past. And I really kind of just want to discuss like how she was able to overcome all that and and process that and still going through that, you know, currently. So Ebony, share your story. I want to hear it. And I want the rest of the the world to hear it. So, yes, of course. So around middle school I want to say I was about eight years old um I started getting really into you know modeling and all those things and my stepfather he was a photographer um and so I really trusted him we had a great relationship great bond before all of this and so did I did with my mother as well and then all of a sudden things just started to spiral into you know okay just measuring my myself and just you know, and then it started to go into measuring myself with my clothes off. And then it just started to escalate and things just began to get worse and worse. And then come the middle of my sixth grade year is when I can recall the first time that he actually, um, can I say penetrated me? Is that? Okay. Yeah. He sexually penetrated me. Um, at this time I had also, um, just started my period and all those things too. So I was coming into my womanhood for lack of better words. 
Um, and it was very alarming for me. I didn't know. I, at first, my first thought was, okay, maybe a lot of models do this. A lot of photographers, like maybe this is what's supposed to happen. As a child, you don't, I, you really don't understand what's happening most of the time. You're powerless, in my opinion. So I just kind of didn't understand what was happening. I literally sat in the bathtub after it happened and didn't, I couldn't move. I didn't do anything until my mom had gotten home. And I still didn't say anything to her just because of fear. Mm -hmm. um, she's very prideful in family mm -hmm. and knowing that, and not letting anyone know about what's happening in our household. So mm -hmm. she's very big on like making, painting a beautiful picture of an American family. Why? I, maybe because she grew up Muslim. I don't know, but <laughs> that's just kind of, I just was afraid. Um, and at the same time, my brother was always in the living room. So it was very interesting. Like, it was very traumatic, I could say. I was very, um, there'd be times where I had to have a sock in my mouth. There'd be times where I was blindfolded. There are times where that I can still recall that I would be taking pictures as a child, just naked or I don't know what, and I was just doing it because I thought that's what the industry called for. Um, I had a question. So during yeah. those experiences, did he ever say, hey, don't tell, blah, 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 or like, did he ever say anything to, to stop you from telling, or just kind of, like, how did that go? Um, he kind of would just, I don't know if it was out of guilt, but it was more of a, I'll do this for you if you don't say anything type of situation. Um, and then there were times where, say, if I was acting up in school, you know, we all act up in school, um, that it would be more of like a fear from, I don't know if my mom knew at that point, but she would always say, okay, your stepfather or your father's going to discipline you. So it'd always be like one of those, like, okay, like, I'm just going to stay quiet because I really don't know. And at the time as well, my aunt was also working with him and doing um, modeling and photography and stuff. And I didn't know if anything was happening to her either. So it was just one of those. I rather not upset my mom. Like I'm very a people pleaser, not anymore, but yeah. <laughs> back then when I was a child, I was a very people pleaser when it came to my mom and making her happy. So yeah. I didn't really know how to go to her about it. Um, and then at the same time, he was very aggressive and very much so like, if you say anything, I won't be able to help you with this and I won't do this for you and stuff like that. So, and my mother put him on that pedestal of, you know, he's the one that helps with everything. He's the one that takes care of everything. And for me, in my recollection, I'm like, before he came into the picture, you were an independent woman and fine. So now it's kind of like one of those relationships where it just takes a part of you type of situation. So, and I noticed that as a child and I was like, he's not the breadwinner. He's not this, I don't know why you put him on this pedestal, but he kind of just was. Was he living in the house with you? Yes, and he so, was. So I was going to mm -hmm. say, so living in the house together, like after the experiences that you had gone through, the experiences that he put you through, like interacting with him in the house with your other family members there, how was that? That was so difficult and strange. And at the time, no one knew about it. Um, and my family is very big on getting together for holidays, getting together for everything, literally birthdays, the smallest things we barbecue for. Um, so it was very hard for me to um, like, kind of like put my feelings aside and be a happy family for my mom. It was so, I hated her so much for it. I literally would write in my journal all the time about how much I hated my mom for making me do this without her even really knowing. Um, and then it was just very, just pretty much like carpent, what's the word? Um, there's a word for it to just put your feelings aside and deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. And at the time too, my little brother, he was like my world. So that was his father. And so it was also very difficult to not want to say anything or do anything because that was his best friend. Like they were so close. And so it was very difficult. I didn't want to break his heart either to let him know, you know, this, your father is hurting me. He's abusing me. And, you know, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. And he was so young too. He's five years younger than me. So it was crazy time. I understand what you're saying. And so when, when did you, when were you at a point where you're like, okay, I want to say something to my mom? Um, that point came when I actually had to have an abortion. Mm. Um, I had gotten pregnant in eighth grade 
And my aunt, I had to then tell my aunt, who at the time was going to be 18 soon, which I figured, okay, you're going to be an adult soon. You'll be able to help me, you know, do whatever I need to do to get out of the situation. So I let my aunt know about it. And um, she, it was weird. The way I told her, we were at a family event. For um, clarification, you let your aunt know because you got pregnant by your stepfather? Yes. Okay, so you let your aunt know that you were pregnant by your stepfather. Yes, I let her know, and I let her know that I needed, well, first I just said, I need an abortion, and she was just like, what, like, what are you talking about, what is going on, and I would let her know what has been happening, and she literally, she couldn't break down because we were at a family event, and so, and I literally had told her, like, you can't say anything, you can't do anything, this was the best way that I could tell you, like, I'm young, I don't have a phone, I can't, you know, back in those days, in the 90s, it was very, like, I don't know how to go about this situation, but I needed to tell you because I need help to get an abortion. Like, I don't know who to go to. And so at that time, um, she said, okay, and she helped me um, get an abortion. And then I had also told one of my best friends in my eighth grade year, because I just needed help with at least letting my my mom know, okay, I've made just sexual molestation because I didn't want to push all of it on her at once just because of how she is and how you know my family there's nothing can break my family situation so I just told my best friend everything and I told her I just wanted to tell my mom that he's just molesting me I don't want to tell her that he's been having sex with me just maybe touching and looking and feeling yeah so that happened in eighth grade and that same day this was after school I can clearly remember I'm in the car with my best friend crying my crying my eyes out and I'm telling my mom, and then she told my best friend to get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was supposed to be coming over to stay with us for, you know, sleepovers. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. She told my best friend to get out of the car and that she had to call her mom to take her home. Yeah. And we immediately drove to my stepfather's job. Wow. And I'm thinking, like, my mom's going to go off on him. He's, she's going to, you know, shoot him, cut him. I don't know. Yeah. And, no, we get there to the job, and – He's coming out and his face, the way he looks, he's very, he's also a military rat as well. So he's very just stern. Like he already knows that there's something going on. And you see me crying in the front seat and he's already just like, hmm, what's happening type of situation. And my mother's like screaming, yelling in the parking lot, like, are you touching her? Are you looking at her? Like, are you molesting her? And he was just like, no, she's lying. Are you kidding me? I would never do that. He literally lies to her. And now she's at the point where, you know, who to believe. But I'm like, I'm your daughter. Why would I want to lie about any of this type of situation? And so after he, um, after that whole explosion in the parking lot, we had drove to his parents' house. We drove to his parents' house and his parents, um, my grandfather, essentially, he's a pastor. Yeah. And my grandmother is a first lady and then my stepfather is actually also a reverend so it was just a lot yeah I'm a pastor's kid as well so it's just very it was a lot (laughs) yeah so we went to the house and we literally had a conversation and they literally had asked me are you okay with pushing it under the rug and not saying anything can you be a family for your mother that's what your parents said yeah wow wow literally that was literally so they, so they so did did they believe you at least and they were just like push it under the rug? I still don't know to this day. They I don't just know wanted to not talk not. about it anymore. They just wanted me not to say anything and to just be a family. And my, I can remember my mother just looking at me with tears in her eyes, and I was just like, "Wow, I don't care. I'll suck it up." Wow. But then obviously it got back to my family since I told my aunt anyways. Yeah. So from that situation I was living in the house with them and I just would stay in my room I fell into a deep depression and that's when I started doing a lot of drugs and I have a quick alcohol. question after that mm-hmm. came out did he stop touching you yes he did okay mm-hmm. so yeah it ended in my eighth grade year and then I kind of fell into a deep depression just because I was still around my abuser I still I was so I didn't know what to do I was trying to be putting on this face for the whole world to just, you know, for everyone to see, like, we're okay, nothing's ever happened, but I was so damaged, so broken, he took everything to me, from me, and it didn't belong to him, you know, and so I went through a depression, I started doing drugs, I was smoking, I was drinking, and then when that wasn't enough to essentially kill the pain that I was dealing with, it kind of just went into things that, you know, would give me more of a high, or would make me feel what I didn't want to feel, 
And then, um, like what, what right. of those things? Um, I was, I started out doing, just smoking a lot and then the smoking led to drinking a lot. And the area that I grew up in wasn't a great area either. So I was just around, you know, wrong people. And from there, um, just doing like the bare minimal, it wasn't the high from smoking wasn't enough for me. So then I started to do cocaine. Um, and I got very addicted to that, to where I couldn't even feel like it would just, you know, make me straight. And that was about it. And then I tried ecstasy a few times and that was fun. That made me feel like my high is high, you know? And so I was doing ecstasy. And then from then I was almost never sober at this point. It got so bad to the point where I lost control of who I was and who I felt like I was destined to be. Um, And then as soon as I pretty much didn't realize that what I was doing to myself was still lingering in my system pretty much. So everything that I was doing is still in my system. The first time I had tried um, heroin, which is crazy back then, it was like unheard of. Um, I just pretty much had passed out for the first time. But it was in a way of where I couldn't, I was numb. I couldn't feel anything. And I liked that feeling Mm. Uh, just because I didn't know how to deal with the situation that I was going through and no one else knew. I didn't say anything else about it, but because I had to hold all that in, it just spiraled. How old were you when you were going through that in terms of um, the the drinking and the drugs? Like, was that all throughout your teenage years, like all through high school after eighth grade? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all throughout my, my teenage years. And then from then I kind of slowed down a little bit just because my uncle and my grandmother on my mom's side had found out about the situation. And the only reason why my grandmother found out about the situation now I'm in high school at this point is because he was having an affair with someone that she had worked with on her job. So my grandmother thought I was going to be devastated because I'm obviously putting on this facade of happy family, happy life. And no one in my family knows about anything. And my aunt has kept this secret. (laughs) And, um, my grandmother went to the same aunt that I had spoke to about my situation and was kind of like, Ebony's going to be so hurt. She's a daddy's little girl. Um, he's having an affair with another woman. She's going to be so sad. And my aunt essentially was just like, no, she's not. She hates him. Yeah. Like, she cannot stand him. And she's like, what are you talking about? Why? What's, what's been happening? Yeah. And at that point, she had let her know, you know, what happened. And her heart sank and literally called my mother And at this point, I remember it was one of my birthdays in high school. I want to say it was like my 16th birthday. Um, And they all came to the house. It was my grandmother, my two aunts, me, and my mom. We sat around this glass table. And my grandmother, I guess, called my mother saying, I need to speak to you um, about Ebony. And so at that point, my mother knew. So we're all sitting around this glass table. My mom has a Bible in front of her. Okay. Kid you not. I'm sitting there bowling because now my grandmother knows and she's... My grandmother is, for lack of better words, a hood grandmother. <laughs> okay. We're sitting at the table and she's like, how the, this? like she's going off. She's yeah. cursing. Everything is happening. And my gra- my mother is sitting at the table, straight as face, arms crossed, Bible in front of her, literally just listening, not saying anything straight as face. Like I could not tell as a child that she was feeling any emotion that she was feeling bad about anything that she had been doing about me keeping it quiet and everything, nothing. So at this point, I'm like crying my eyes out. Cause I'm like, I hate you. How could you let this man do this to me? And yeah. now you're hearing the full story. Now you know that he's actually penetrated me and all these other things. Does she know about that you got pregnant? No, I made my aunt not like we literally wrote a letter, buried it in the grave, burned it, all that stuff. Um, so that's literally me and her secret. So no one else even knows about that except for my fiance now too. But, um, yeah, it was crazy. So she, we're just sitting there and nothing doesn't say anything. And then my grandmother stops. My grandmother's like, are you going to say anything like cursing, you know? And she's just like, everyone get out. Literally everyone leave. Even me kick me out. All of us had to go with my grandmother. He comes back home and apparently we get a call saying we're going to the hospital. He committed, tried to commit suicide that same evening. Oh, wow. Word to God. So then we went to the hospital and 
I'm just sitting there. I'm just distraught. As a child, I'm lost at this point. I'm doing drugs. I'm confused. I'm lost. I don't know who to go to, what to turn to, who to trust. And I'm sitting there and my grandmother's there and she's just like, I'm here for you. Like, I believe you. I would never, like, a child would never lie about something like this. Um, and I think that same night, my grandmother had told my uncle, my uncle reported it to social services. Yeah. And um, at the hospital, my mother, again, was just like, this is going to be a battle pretty much like this is gonna be a war and I'm like what do you like I'm like okay yeah you're gonna help me fight him right yeah I want to be a family that's what she said yeah outside the hospital doors like literally looking at the emergency room and I'm like so you want to be a family like you want me to be a family still like after everything that's been happening like this is toxic and she was like, you can be on board with being a family or you cannot. Yeah. And it's going to be war. And I was just like, how could, like, how could you say that to your child? Yeah. Like how? And so at that point, I again spiraled back into the drugs and doing all these things because officers got involved. I was in and out of jail. I was in and out of rehab. My family had like pretty much social services took me like my grandmother that year had moved to Lancaster and we were still in the Valley 40. It's about an hour away from each other. So social services pretty much took my brother and my mom and told them and told all of us actually that we had to stay away from the stepfather. Cool. My mother will comply with whatever. She's very, very, very malicious and very, very like she'll please anyone. She'll okay. But we'll do whatever she wants to do in the back of her mind. So at this point, they're like, you have to stay away from him. Okay, so we're staying at my aunt's. My aunt only had enough money and help and support in her home to take care of my brother. And so that's when I, you know, opted to go to foster care. And I was like, you know what, fine. Like, I don't want to be around my mother anyways. I can't stand her. I hate her. So fine, I'll, I'll go. And that's when, again, I started spiraling into all the craziness of drugs. And I had tried heroin for the second time. And I pretty much literally was foaming from the mouth and almost died and and that's because I still had all these other things flushing and going through my system I remember one of my friends at the time calling the paramedics and I had to be rushed to the hospital to get my stomach pumped and everything pumped out of me um and I remember seeing my mother when I woke up she was the only one that was there and I knew that my grandmother was on the way um and from there social services said that they were going to take me away again um because I needed to be placed in a rehab and, or in a foster care home. Um, And at the time I was going to school in the Valley too. So I couldn't stay with my grandmother. She was way too far. Um, My mother was still kind of seeing my stepfather at the same time, even though she was told not to. Um, And my aunt can only take care of my brother. So it was just chaos. I went back into a foster care home, but from that foster care home, I just put myself in rehab and knew like I saw it was must have been God it had to be God because I saw just you know this wasn't my time again and if I could have come back from that I can come back from all of this and so I ended up just trying to take care of myself in rehab and trying to help my brother get through elementary school and all that as well Um, so I was walking him to school I was making sure that he was okay my mother still wouldn't speak to me um, and I had no connections with my grandmother either How until, um, I'm about 18 now okay, okay. or turning 18. I was 17 at the time. This is like my 17 year. Okay. Um, and my grandmother pretty much had said, you know, my uncle had reported it again and they needed me to be on board with going to court and all that, finding my real father, all these things. And I just pretty much was like, I want it to be done. So whatever needs to be done needs to be done, needs to happen. So that whole, my senior year of high school was freaking awful. Going back and forth to children's court yeah. and pulled out of school. Everyone on campus literally talking about whatever was happening with me. Rumors were being spread. I was literally alone, literally sitting in hallways by myself, biggest loner, depressed. And I was still dancing. I was cheer captain, but I was still so depressed and by myself. You and alone. Like such a big, like, paradox. I like, literally, you're like, right? everybody knows who I am my mother works on the campus that I go to school at as well so all the teachers know who I am and at that same time I was also 
coming out as like, you know, you know, I'm over penis for lack of better words. So okay. I'm just like, I'm like you, know, fine. you know, gonna, you know, let's try out this girl stuff too. You know, I was kind of always into it in middle school, but that just kind of pushed me over the edge at the same time. And I was just like, I'm over men. Yeah. Um, but then I realized that I couldn't punish men for one man's mistake yeah. and one like sick way. So I started to also try and do both. And I was just like, let me just be who I want to be. And I just kind of label myself as queer. I hate labels, but you know, I love people. <laughs> love people. So if what, I don't care what's in between your legs, like as long as you're a beautiful human being, then fine. That's what I was going through at the same time. And my mom being religious is like, no, kicked out all this stuff. So I'm alone pretty much. My grandmother is coming down. She was having a lot of health issues around the situation as well, in and out of court. I remember times of sitting in the courtroom and my grandmother literally yelling at my mother, calling her B, like, because she was making it in court, she was making it seem like I was the mental one and that I was crazy. So she had my school counselors, my school dean, my school principal, my my, um, pastors of churches that I was going to or whatever the case may be everyone on her side against me and they were all literally agreeing that I was mental and crazy just because I kept saying like okay I'll be a family for you because I'm trying to make you happy but at the same time like it's hurting me and I need to do what's right for me at the same time so she took that whole situation and made it seem like I was crazy Mm. and so that pretty much happened and I didn't have anyone on my side besides the social worker um because my grandmother wasn't my legal guardian until I want to say it was close to like the end of the case that he pretty much had to, he lost his job, had to move out of the area and he had to do community service. He didn't go to jail because at the time I was still in children's court and I child had no idea that I could even press charges once I turned 18 or anything. Um, And there's no stature of limitation in California. So I probably still could, but at this point in my life, I'm trying to move forward, you know, but at the time um, that last day in court, when he lost everything, um, my mother gave up custody of me. doesn't make any sense. I'm going to be 18 anyways, but she gave up custody of me, um, to my real father and to my grandmother. And so for like a year, did you guys end up finding your real father? Yes, okay. we did. And he pretty much, you know, obviously he was upset about the situation, but he didn't really accept me because of my sexuality either at the time. Yeah. So it was very like a sticky situation and we're still, I'm working on that too now, but he's very, when I first met him, he's very, he's arrogant you know I'm the man and whatever I say goes types of situation and I'm like well men aren't always right clearly but I'm that's your life this is who you are I barely know you so we'll figure it out but so yeah all that happened and then I went to college because that was the first thing that I could think of to you know put myself in a better situation I started to share my story at Cal State Northridge as well Mm -hmm. um, through this um, it's almost like a play it's called Take um, and I pretty much had to dance out my rape on stage wow. I want to say five times out of the, the week for freshmen from all over the world over and over again, about 5,000 freshmen that I had danced for. And throughout that time on Cal State Northridge's campus, it was just everyone always coming to me, everyone talking to me about it, um, just letting them know too that there are resources to help you get through these situations. Like you're not alone. Like so many people have been through so many different things. And especially at our school, it was very much so like, there's so much help. So that's when I found my first therapist as well to help me stay sober. Yeah. Um, because obviously in college, it's you, sky's the limit, you know? So to help me stay sober. So I started seeing a substance abuse counselor and she pretty much was my world. She helped me get through the healing. I didn't speak to my mom for the first two years of my college experience. And she helped me deal with the pain and the hurt that I was feeling from her. I at the time felt like she hurt me more than he did than my stepfather did just because it was that's my mom she's my best friend and before he came into the picture it was we were inseparable yeah. uh, and so it was more so I was hurt from her and then all throughout college um we didn't speak really my grandmother went through a few minor heart attacks because she was just so stressed and worried about our relationship you know you can die tomorrow it, you life is not guaranteed so it's one of those like your mother's getting older, you're getting older, like things need to happen, things need to change, things need to, you know, yeah, itself, but it all took time, and then up until then, I was going through very toxic relationships, too, clearly, too, because of, you know, what you go through as a person, um, abusive relationships, mentally, physically, all of it, so. Guys and women, men and women, or just women? 
um, men and women. So even in college, I had had um, a few sexual encounters with a few men just to like see. Yeah. Also, for my mom, I was also trying to get my mom to talk to me again too because I, I in college, it's like you need your parents. You see, and I was also in a sorority, so you see all these parents and family members like coming to things, and you're just I'm just there by myself. You know, it was very hard to deal with. I was always kind of envious of other people and their family. And I didn't realize why, really. And so I noticed in myself that with having such a big heart, I still did want my mother in my life in some shape, way, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mother's also a dancer, so we had a strong connection with that as well. And so losing all of that from going to having it and to then it just disappearing over years, it was just traumatizing as well. Um, And I had to start to realize, like, what was more important to me? trying to fight my mom and get him to leave, you know, get her to leave him and all this stuff or trying to just become the woman that I want to be. Yeah. Um, so it took a lot, a lot, a lot and seeing everybody else's relationships at college and, you know, when you're moving in, moving out and people are there to help you and it's yeah. like, you, you know, all those things that you miss out on. What? I was going to say, I saw that too. Cause like, I think it was like the first year of like, of my college experience, I wasn't talking to my mom because we did not have a good relationship. And I did see that, like, literally people moving around, people, parents helping. Yeah. There. It was me right. and my friends. You know, that's literally right. it. I totally understand. And you're that. like, dang, like, what about, like, what about me? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, so it was very, very hard. And I started to, like, look for love in places that wasn't real love to me in my mind my therapist at in college she taught me you know for me love equals pain and that's not what love has to be all the time and so I was looking for it in my relationships and I would be in and out of them men women and I kind of got a little promiscuous of course as well because you you don't really there's two different types of ways you come out of dealing with a situation like that you're either very promiscuous or you're just closed off And so I kind of experienced both of those traits, but the promiscuous stuff, it just wasn't for me. And I noticed even in college trying to give men a try. I mean, still college boys are not real men. So I mean, (laughs) trying to give it a try. Uh Like it's not, it's not for me. I don't, it's not, this doesn't make me happy. I'm not enjoying this at all. Um, I do connect more with women. So I kind of just started to stick that out. And then I guess, something happened where I needed to just speak to my mother. Um, And so I set up a meeting with her. It's crazy how formal that had to be because you're my mom. Why do I need to set up a meeting with you? But I literally set up a meeting. She had moved to um, Long Beach area right as I graduated high school. She's out, gone. So I was like, all right, you know, cool. So I was just like, let's meet halfway in Burbank and let's meet at an in and out And I just really need to talk to you because with me going through the therapy that I was going through, I really noticed in myself that I still, no matter what, loved my mother. Mm. How crazy that that sounds. I knew that I needed to do what I needed to do for myself to make myself happy. And what, was, what made me happy is having my mother in my life, no matter what mistakes and things that she had did to hurt me. And, and I think- to be fair, So you took the first step and you wanted this meeting with your mom to kind of rebuild your relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was also doing a lot of self-help stuff in college yeah. um, and a lot of motivational things in college, reading a lot of books, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was, um, I would write affirmations on my mirror in college, like with, and like the girlfriend that I was with at the time, she was very, had low self-esteem as well. So it was just, you know, let's, write this after these affirmations and it would literally say I'm beautiful I'm successful I'm a millionaire I'm going to succeed and I would say that every morning and it's on my mirror it's going to remind me so I started to say that and I started to believe hold on on. you hear that selfish babe she said she was doing her affirmations right so if you haven't been doing your affirmations I highly suggest that you do your affirmations okay continue (laughs) I mean I really started to believe that and I would read books and so it's crazy because in that relationship my significant other at the time started to notice change in me yeah. and she was kind of like who are like you're changing you're doing things for yourself you're happy like what's happening type of situation yeah. like the relationship is changing pretty much yeah. um, I started to focus more on my dancing at that time too so I was really just out and doing what made me happy and that's when I had realized you know I'm still missing something which was me and my mother's relationship and so she was like 
what the heck? Like, you're going to go talk to your mom. Like, this is crazy. What are you, yeah. what are you doing? It's a huge mistake. Um, and I was like, you know, you, have no, you don't know what you're talking about. And as I'm trying to leave, she got a little physical with me. And I was like, I'm not coming back. Like, I'm gonna come back and get my stuff. And we're done because I'm, I'm evolving. And if you're not willing to evolve with me, then there's no point in me staying in this relationship. And at the time, I'm very much so relationships, I won't cry over a person and maybe a day or two. But at the end of the day, I have myself. And I need myself stronger. I can't depend on anyone else to make me happy. So I had to, life is way too short for anyone to, you know, be heartbroken. And I know there are some serious situations. But for me, I just knew that I, there was an end goal in my life and I needed to get there with or without you. Yeah. Um, and so I went to go and meet my mother and my brother had came and I didn't know he was coming and he still at the time didn't know like, or me and my family, like my grandmother and us, we didn't know if he remembered anything. And yeah. so we were still making it seem like around in family events, even after all the court and stuff, we were making it seem like nothing happened because he's such a fragile flower and was already going through some depression as well yeah. that we could just like we don't know if he remembers we don't know if social services told him anything we don't know if you know we don't know what his recollection of anything may be so we just kind of pushed it under the rug for him as well yeah which that that happening to my family I kind of grew a discomfort with them just because it was always in the back of my mind what about me you know does anyone care about how I'm feeling with doing this Mm-hmm. But I kind of always just was, let me be strong and do what I have to do to make yeah. everybody okay. Um, but we went to in and out and we sat down. And at first it was me and my mom and the girl that I was with at the time. We all were there because I needed some, you know, extra moral support. And I was like, either you're going to come with me and help me deal with this or you're not. And yeah. she didn't like my mother either because of the situation. So I was like, but I need to do this for me. It's not your mom. It's not yeah. your situation. Like I need to heal. And so we all went and she says, hello, whatever. And I'm just like, hi, mom. Like at this point, we hadn't seen each other in two years. Mm. So I'm like, hi, mom. Like, I miss you. (laughs) You know, how's life? And she's just kind of like, I miss you too. Things are okay. Things are good. And at this time, I think they were still trying to recover from what they had lost. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't care what you've lost. Like, do you know how much I've lost? Yeah. You know how I've gone through? I don't even, at this point, it doesn't matter to me. I just need you to know how I'm feeling. And so me and my mother, we step outside because from instant, just looking at her and talking to her, I started crying. Um, I had walked outside and I'm sitting outside and she comes outside and I'm like, mom, do you even believe me? Do you like throughout all of that, you never once told me you believed me. You never once told me that you understood or that you know what's happening for me, that I'm in pain, I'm hurting nothing. And she literally had just pretty much apologized for the mistake she had made. She didn't admit to anything else. She didn't admit to believing me. She didn't admit to thinking that I, and I even brought up such an instance where he had came home late one night and me and my brother, we shared the same room. We slept in bunk beds and um, I'm, he literally came into the house late and my mother is sleeping in their room and our rooms are side by side. She, he walks into our room and wakes me up out of my sleep and tells me to get out of bed and at this point I'm tearing because I'm like I don't want to get up I don't want to do anything I don't want you to touch me I just I want to go to sleep like I have to wake up this is like I'm like going back a little bit but and he wakes me up and I get up because I'm like I don't want him to hit me or anything like he's aggressive he's you know abusive at the same time and I get up and he literally has me facing the closet which is right next to the door as well to see and like kind of cracks the door. And he started, he starts to kind of pretend to start dancing with me. And at the same time, he's touching me and feeling me in all my, you know, particular areas. And he starts to pull his pants down. And my brother is sleeping right in the same room. Like how sick can you be? And all of a sudden he's starting to pull his pants down and I can feel him behind me and stuff. And we hear movement in the room next door. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, my mom hears him. Like, she's going to come in and see what's happening. And he's still doing his stuff. I don't know if he noticed that she's up. And the light comes on in the hallway. And he kind of just freezes. And, she, and I can see her shadow in the hallway. Yeah. And I'm like, please come in here. Please. I know you hear breathing. I know you hear something happening. There's no way that you cannot, you know? Yeah. But now she 
walks into the kitchen, keeps going, and walks right back into her bedroom and turns the hallway light off and wow. just let whatever happened happen. And I'm like, at that point, that's when I really just wanted my mom at that point. I started to think, like, I want you to die. Like, that's how could you not know? And so when in college, when we met up, I brought up that scenario. I was like, Mom, do you remember yeah. a night when you woke up out of nowhere? or at least you think, and you walked into the hallway, turned the light on, went into the kitchen and get something to drink. Cause I could see your shadow and I could see you. So there's no way that you cannot see me. Yeah. And she kind of just was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, this is what I'm like, I'm in pain. And whether you believe me or not, whether you choose to, if you choose to be in denial about the situation, I need you as my mother to understand that I need you to help me heal. Yeah. As my mom, you weren't there for me during the time when all of it had happened and we were going in and out of court. I was doing drugs. You weren't there for me at all. And I'm asking for you to be there a little bit right now because I need you. And she kind of just was like, you know, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made. That was it. And I was like, you know what? If that's all I can get out of you for right now, I'll take it, you know, because I wasn't going to continue to fight any situation because it just kept me in a negative place. And I was already on a track of, you know, healing myself and motivating myself to do better, um, to get myself out of tough situations, to be strong. And so I was like, no, I'll accept this for now because I know there will be more times where we need to discuss this. So I went through a horrible breakup with my, you know, significant other at the time. And I took a year to myself to literally dance, work, go to school, read books and so during that time you weren't with anybody at that time no I just took a year to myself because I didn't know what love was I didn't know what I was doing in a relationship what I knew was based off of what I've been through and what I've seen as a child you know and so and I really went back into therapy too at that end of the relationship and started to learn what really affected me from that situation I she actually my therapist at the time actually had me do a rape test and it pretty much tests you on how it affects your family outlook how it affects your intimacy how it affects you sexually and how it affects um what you think about love and all of those things I thought at the time like I'm strong like if I literally thought if I came into this world by myself I'm gonna die by myself but we're not made that way but that's just how I was trying to keep myself strong you know So I pretty much was like, you know, it affected me and how I look at family and how much I dream about having a, you know, successful, healthy family. That's literally one of my dreams, just based off of what I've been through. I sexually could not, I still to this day can't handle certain things. Mm. Um, That's something that I still have to work on for myself, which I am. And then intimacy. Certain things, you mean like certain sexual acts? Because it's. Yes. Yes. Like touching certain areas or certain sounds too. Sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, can't, we got to stop. Can't do that. And it's just kind of like interesting. But, and then for intimacy, love to me equaled pain. If love was hard, I thought that that was love. Yeah. And love doesn't have to be hard. And I noticed that in my therapy, I want to say two, three years ago that I started to see this lady and I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that I was putting the two together because since if I'm fighting, that's love. If we're trying to, you know, if we're disagreeing so much, that's love. If you're hitting me or if you're mentally abusing me, like that's love because this is what, that's all I know, you know? And I had to really reverse that and say, you know, that's not, love does not have to equal pain. Love does not have to be hard. Um, Love can be easy. And I was just wow I was like say again I said it surely can it can be easy and I'm only saying that because like I've been in a past relationship where we were arguing all the time we throw things at each other and I thought that I'm in my current relationship and it is easy okay I'm happy I'm like oh dang we can we can do this like wow it's crazy so it took me to be by myself and to really start to focus on myself to figure that out and then even for just love in general just knowing that it can be easy and it can you do deserve it knowing my worth was the hardest thing I still struggle with it when it comes to dance that's the only area of aspect that I do struggle with my worth but 
in, every, in any other areas relationships I'm like no I know I'm worth it like I know I'm great I know I can do great things for you mm-hmm. um, when it comes to my family I, I will go above and beyond I know I can do whatever I need to do but when it comes to dance I'm still just like mm, can I do that like do I know I can do that but mm-hmm. it's me building my own confidence within myself when it comes to that area but it literally took me a lot and so then recently I am um, now that I am in my new relationship it was very hard we got engaged quickly and um whenever you are meeting someone new to have to tell them like this is my situation with my family yeah and i'm i'm working on my relationship with my family um it's very very hard because i still i didn't speak to him still to this up until recently i started to talk to him again yeah um and trying to include him back into you know the situation just because that's my mother's happiness and i cannot try and change that for her if that's what she wants and that's what she wants to deal with that's what she wants to do we're all adults now at this point and so to be with someone who's kind of like who cares about you who wants to protect you it's kind of like well I don't need protection anymore in this situation I kind of have to go through this process on my own and you pretty much have to just be my ally in my healing process yeah Um, and it's it's very complicated but I recently had a talk with my mother and him because I was still dealing with PTSD, still dealing with traumatizing um, dreams and flashbacks. There would be moments in the relationship where I'd literally be zoned out and I'd come back just in a super big funk, like in a mood. And she would be like, what's, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. And she's like, well, clearly you're not like, just be honest with me. And so I had to learn how to say, okay, I'm in a mood right now. And I just need a moment to jump back into life type of situation. Um, But there is a time where I did sit my brother down. Once he turned 18, I did sit him down and just kind of said with my grandmother, this is the reason why, because for a long time, he didn't understand why I didn't come back around. He didn't understand why I didn't reach out to them. He was upset with me. Yeah. And so we kind of sat him down because I was having dreams about it. I was having dreams about him running away with me. I was going through so many different things that I kind of just was like, I need to talk to my little brother because yeah. I think that'll be a part of my healing process with the situation. So we let him know it didn't go as smooth at first, but then it ended up getting better. And now he does know, and it's kind of like, he didn't want to talk about it anymore. He's very fragile. He's like a little flower, I swear. Yeah. But he um, now is okay with the situation and is, I think, going through his own process because they're not as close anymore, but he's just kind of like, there still and I'm like I want to help you get out you're old enough now you're going to be 21 like let's do let's help you you know and then after that talk happened I started to heal a little bit more and then I had a dream this was like my okay now I need to have another talk with my mother and him because this needs something needs to give I had a dream that I was we were in this house it was me my brother my mom and my stepfather and we're playing hide and seek but I'm initially trying to teach him how to run away from home and Mm. how to come with me and so we're playing hide and seek in the house and I jump out of the window and I'm like brother come with me come with me and he's like no where are you going we can't leave and my mother had walked into the room that my brother was in and she sees me running away and just tears start to well up in her eyes and I yell back to her that I love her that's all I said and then my stepfather just started to come after me and I had woke up in tears because it was a matter of I still love them Yeah. before any of the trauma- traumatizing things happened. I, we had a great relationship, all of us. We were all a great family. We we're all inseparable. And it was something that he did that he needs to know about that. You hurt me and you destroyed our family. But at this point in my life, I still love you guys. And I can't be angry anymore. I can't be angry for the rest of my life. It's not going to help me grow. It's not going to put me in a better place. And I was doing a lot of self-help. And that's when I did come and see your um, app and stuff too. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, I was like, like, what? And I literally, I saw it on social media and I was like, what the heck? And I downloaded it instantly. And it also helped me push myself to know that I can, I can, I have that strength to go and speak to my abusers and in this life that I'm in as an engaged woman and I even told my fiance about the app and I was like, download it right, get it right now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right now. Cause she, you know, deals with like mental health and stuff too. So I was like, get it. 
And so then I was like, you know, I told her, I was like, I'm, I need to speak. I'm ready to talk to the both of them. And I actually was supposed to do this around New Year's, but I still did not have the courage to do it until that dream happened. And I saw, you know, all that, the app and everything. And I was like, now it's time. And so then I had went, we drove down to Long Beach and my mother kind of knew about it just because I told my grandmother that I wanted to do this, but I went to her and I wrote down and I did this for no less than five minutes, no less than 15, no more than 15 minutes. My my therapist now had told me to do, you know, write dear mom and see what happens. Just see what comes out. Do it for more than five minutes, less than 15 minutes. I did it. And I was like crying a bit. It was a little emotional for me. It was hard, but then I knew that I had things to say. Yeah. And then she was like, okay, do it for your father as well. No more, more than five minutes, no more than 15 minutes. And I literally wrote dear Melvin, cause that's his name at this, at this time. I'm still like, Ooh, I want to press charges. Like I hate him, but I was like, you know, let me see what happens. Yeah. And I literally stopped and I wrote so much more than I did for my mother. I cried so much harder than I did for my mother's. And I, that's when I realized I need to speak to him. Yeah. And I hope that my mother will let me speak to him alone so that I can get the healing that I need, even if he does apologize or if he doesn't apologize. I'm prepared for both. Yeah. And she didn't let me talk to him on, you know, my own because that whole family, we're a family and we can, we need to discuss this as a family type of situation. And so I was like, you know what, I'm still going to say whatever it is that I need to say in front of him in front of you if you want to sit here then fine but I'm still going to say what I need to say um but at first I let her know I spoke to her separately first just because I'm like you're my mom and I want us to work on our mother-daughter relationship I'm getting married and this is a process where I'm gonna need you I even I you need a father as well but this is if this is the closest that I can get then I'm going to do the best that I can to heal and hope that he's doing the same yeah um so we sat there on the couch. I was crying my eyes out. And I'm like, you hurt me. You destroyed me as well. You, you were against me. I still don't know if you believe me. I don't care at this point in my life. But I need you to know that I went through a lot. And a lot was taken from me that did not belong to anyone else. And I really need you to understand that during this process of my engagement and my wedding, like, I went in not wanting him to be at the wedding. Yeah. But my mother, we had a conversation when I had first gotten engaged. And she had said, if he's not there, then I'm going to be uncomfortable. And I was like, so this is where we're still at? Okay, yeah. this, this talk needs to happen, you know? And I was like, that's, that's crazy. Like, I'm your daughter. We've gotten a little bit closer. You should be okay on my special day, you know? But it wasn't the case. And I was just like, okay. During the talk, I just told her, I don't necessarily particularly want him there. If you think about it, it's my abuser on my special day at my wedding. How do you think that I'm going to be able to deal with that? when I still have, you know, dreams, flashbacks, and I see his face in the crowd or whatever the case may be, how do you think I'm supposed to deal with that? And she kind of was just like, no, I understand. And it'll be hard for me, but I'll do whatever I need to do to be there for you during this process. And then she has stated I, um, that he is the one that is like financially helping out more. And I'm like, how, how is that possible? In my mind, I'm just like, you know what, this is your life and your marriage. Yeah. Fine. But she was just like, you know, I do need his help with a lot of things. And she had stated that she wanted to help with my wedding dress and my accessories and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, fine. But is he going to be involved? Are you saying that he is going to be involved in the the process as well? And that's when she was pretty much was like, you know, if you don't want him at the wedding, then oh, I understand that it'll be hard for me. And I do need his help with getting those things. And I was just like, fine, I'll, I'll be able to deal with it as long as he's not at the wedding. And this was before I spoke to him as well. Yeah. And so we spoke about all that. And then he came back into the room and I was like, I told him, I have things to say to you. Um, and the first thing I had asked him was, were you sexually molested or raped as a child or just in life in general? Yeah. And he said, yes. And that for me was a sign that he is, he had been dealing with himself as well. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so then you know how it feels. Yeah. Whether you admit to it or not, whether you admit to it in front of my mother, whether my mother believes you or not. And I told my mom not to say anything throughout this whole situation. Yeah. And she was just sitting there and he was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to let you know that you hurt me and you took what was not yours from me. 
Yeah. And I need you to know that before any of that happened, you, I loved you so much. I still love you so much. You're my father at the end of the day. You're the closest thing that I have to a father, but you hurt me. And I don't know if you're trying, I hope that you're trying to become a better person. I hope you're trying to become a better husband, a better father, because yes, I am getting married. And I don't, I told him, I don't want you at my wedding because I don't want to see you and your face on my wedding day. Yeah. And my mother just kind of like started crying and he had said, you know, if, if that is what you wish for, I can understand that. Um, he was like, I don't really understand why. And I'm like, okay, so you're still in denial yeah. about stuff. But you at least are okay with the fact that I don't want you to be there. Mm-hmm. And then he had said, you know, I am sorry for all the pain and the hurt that you're going through. Okay, so you're sorry for something. Yeah. You're, you're sorry for something. And I was just like, okay, thank you. But do you, are you sorry for hurting me? Like, are you sorry for putting me through all that you put me through? And he was like, I'm always sorry. And I still hold you to uh, the highest standard in my eyes. And you're still my little girl. You're still my daughter. And I started crying because it was like, before any of that, like, I really cared about you. Like, I thought you were my real father for the longest time because of our connection. And when you did that, it just, it tore me to pieces. And I had to start from zero with myself and I had no help with doing that, none. And that's what hurt me even more. And he just kind of listened and was like, I'm very sorry. And at the end of us talking, I gave him a hug and we hugged. And that was the first time in years that I had seen him, spoken to him or even hugged him or even like just anything because he wouldn't come to any family events or anything anymore as well. So it was, it was very, it was healing. I was nervous. I was shaking, I was crying, but in the long run, it brought us all closer, to be completely honest. And I, at the end of that, was like, okay, like, I'm okay with you being at the wedding. Because at the end of the day, you're my father, and I, I've, I've forgiven you a long time ago. Yeah. I had to. And you have now at least apologized for something. Yeah. There's still, you know, and my mother was like, are we still going to be talking about this? Yes, it's not going to ever be over with. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. When my child turns when I have a kid, I, I'm going to fear those situations and I'm going to need to talk to you about it. Like you're still my mom. And yeah. whether you say that you believe me or not, we're going to go through this for the rest of my life because it'll never go away. Thank you, Ebony. I do have a question. Like yeah. when you think about your mom and you think about your mom and the relationship with your stepfather, like, I mean, how do you view your mom? You know, in terms of like, it seems like she literally needs him. Like, that's what it seems like. She needs him in her yes. Like, how do you view your mom as a person? I guess a person, when I, when I say, how do, you, how do you view your mom as a human being and not as your mom, but just as a person? Mm. I feel bad for her, mm-hmm. if I'm being completely honest, because we all can see that she is miserable. Yeah. And in whatever shape or form, that that happens and I even asked her when I met her like are you happy like you don't seem happy anymore you don't seem like this is what you want to be doing she's like well no I'm not happy and she kind of just made it seem like I'm not happy about the materialistic things that are in my life but no there's a reason why you're not happy with what's happening and it's not just materials you know yeah. um because she lives in just a small little two-bedroom apartment the rest of us all we all have houses and I have my own house now and it's like how you're clearly not happy and I just feel so bad for her even looking at her from my own you know outside perspective of me not being her daughter it's just like you could be doing so much more for yourself yeah and you have your own things to deal with and I cannot knock you for that you have to do that on your own pace your own process and I hope that you are dealing with yourself because I know that there's things that you've been through too but it's kind of like I cannot put your unhappiness on my shoulders anymore I cannot try to make you happy anymore I have to think about myself and what I need for me and at this that was the most exuberating thing that I can do is just let all of that go let her go and let it let her happiness go because I always was just living my life for anyone to be honest to just make people happy and so at work anybody I'm like let me just do me and make myself happy first so even in a relationship, I'm like, babe, I come first. And I hope that you come first for yourself as well. Yeah. Because I cannot make 
anybody else happy before I'm happy with myself. I have to love myself first or how am I supposed to receive it? How am I supposed to receive love, you know? So once I started to learn that aspect of my self-help journey, it was like, wow, I'm happier. I feel better. I don't have mood swings as much as I used to. I don't go through life walking on, you know, shells. And I was just very moved by the fact that I was capable of learning that with, you know, therapy and self-help and all that. It was like, wow, I can really, I can do life on my own, you know? I like what you said in terms of uh, releasing her own happiness off of your shoulders. I had to write it down. I was like, you know, basically you have to be responsible for your own happiness and you can't be responsible yes. for other people's happiness. And I think Never. that is that we, we really need to internalize. Like when you said that, I was like, yes, like that was really, really good. And if you were to say like a sentence or two, like how did those traumatic events in your life bring you closer to self-love? Mm, it's really shaped my whole experience with my self-love um because I didn't love myself especially after going through what what I went through yeah I would say that going through being you know raped and molested and my drug experience as well definitely pushed me to see that I had a greater purpose in life yeah and to see that I needed to learn how to love myself and not give one person all of the power not give things like drugs the power over loving myself um because that in the long run will only destroy you and it was destroying me and i i was lucky lucky to catch that and i didn't think i was going to make it past 18 but i was lucky to catch it and realize that i am worth something why would god put me on this earth if i wasn't why would he make any of us if we weren't and I started to even grow closer with my relationship and being more spiritual with God and just trying to learn more about myself. And once I included all of that into one, I think I started to use what I went through that was traumatizing Mm -hmm. to make me stronger and to push me. I started, I I accepted what happened to me in the long run. It was more of like, this has happened to me. I cannot be upset with it anymore. I cannot push it away. I accept it. And it's made me who I am. And I love myself. And I would say that to myself every single morning. I accept what has happened to me. I'm not ashamed of it. And I love myself. I love and that. that started, I started to believe in that statement. And it's definitely just brought me closer to myself. Can, can we repeat that statement three times? Okay, selfish babe, we're going to say this affirmation that Ebony has given us. Can we say that three times, Miss Ebony? I'd love to hear it again. Yes. I accept what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. I accept what has happened to me. I cannot change what has happened to me. I cannot change what has happened to me. And I am not ashamed of it. And I am not ashamed of it. And I love myself. And I love myself. And can you repeat that two more times just all together? I'm not going to say it, but just two more times. I accept what has happened to me. I am not ashamed of what has happened to me. And I love myself. I accept what has happened to me. I am not ashamed of what has happened to me, and I love myself. Ashe. All right, Selfish Baby, we want to say the affirmation today. Ebony, uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. Thank you um, for sharing your experience, and just thank you for, for explaining where you are currently. Um, I've had a similar kind of experience where I was molested by my mom's stepfather at the time when I was eight years old. I've shared this, like, on Facebook and Instagram, but in case there's any Selfish Babes first time listening, I have... I was sexually, you know, molested as a child, and it wasn't until I was turning 25 when I was like, I'm going to tell my mom about this, because this picture was still in the living room, and every time I fucking look at that picture, I'd be like, why the fuck is this picture up? Like, Are you serious? Yes, I was always so upset, because she wasn't with him anymore. They broke up uh, when I was about nine or ten years old, we moved from New York to Florida, and I was like, why mm-hmm. is this picture up with him? Like, they're not together or whatever, and so I ended up telling her on my last day that I was home before I, I went back to Atlanta, and I told her. And she was watching something. I told her, and then um, she wanted to continue watching what she was watching. And then when it was a commercial, we talked about it a little bit. And then I went back into my room, and then she was like, oh, yeah. She was, she was like, oh, I always thought that maybe something happened to you when you were in Jamaica, because I go visit my family in Jamaica or whatever. And I was like, no, it was you know, when I was in New York or whatever. And then, she, then at one point, she asked me, she was like, you know, when you were younger, it always seemed like you wanted his attention. 
like and I, I literally like was like is she telling me that 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 I asked for this well, like, literally like an eight-year-old girl is asking for the attention of this grown man to say hey come and touch me and I'm like okay so that night I was I was really pissed off and I ended up crying that night I was really glad that I told her because I, I was like I'm gonna tell her whatever tell her no matter what the outcome is gonna be and I'm crying that about it and then you know, we're continuing to move forward. We haven't talked about it since recently since then, but I just wanted her to know. And so for any of my selfish babes out there, I think that at any point in your life, I think that it, that your parents should know. If it was your parents, then I think your friends should know. I just think it should be something that you t say and get it off of your chest. Because there's a lot of women out there that have been raped, that has been molested. And I'm talking about when we were kids. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, this is, I've known so many friends and so many other women that have gone through similar experiences. And so I would say that you say something, no matter how old you are, and to someone, even if it is not your parents, a friend or just somebody. Because I think that really helps with getting it off your chest I think that helps in standing in with your authenticity and that helps with you being a selfish babe because a lot of times what I would say when it comes to being a selfish babe is being able to express yourself no matter how anybody is going to feel about it and sometimes mm -hmm. the way that you express yourself people are going to be pissed off unhappy they're not going to believe you whatever but you have gotten it off your chest because you're putting yourself love first so I think that is very very important and now, Ebony, my last question for you. If you were to finish this sentence, well, how would you finish it? Sometimes self-love is, and whatever comes to mind. Hard. <laughs> I, like I like that. Sometimes, Sometimes self-love self is hard. Yeah. Um, but you have to believe in yourself and your process. Yeah. That's definitely what I would say. Self-love is so hard, but you have to believe in yourself and your process. Mm -hmm. And you have to believe that what you went through was for a reason. Yeah. And it was to make you or break you. And if you're still here and you've gone through some traumatizing things and experiences, it's making you. And it's definitely going to make you stronger. And you have to just believe in your process and believe in yourself. Yes, Ashe. Well, thank you so much, Ebony, um, for sharing your story and being with us here today. And if you want to follow Ebony on Instagram, I'm going to spell it out for you guys. Her Instagram is Amira E, but it's A-M-E-E-R-A-H underscore E. A-M-E-E-R-A-H underscore E if you'd like to follow Ebony on Instagram. Thank you, beautiful, so much for being on this podcast. I totally appreciate it, and I appreciate your energy.